Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome Gary Lewis onto the Goldust podcast. Gary is currently the Academy Director at Seattle Sounders in the MLS. Gary has previously worked at several academies in the UK, including at Liverpool's Academy, where he coached Trent Alexander-Arnold. In today's episode, Gary talks about his experiences as a coach and also talks about solution-based coaching. Gary, welcome and thank you for creating time to be with us today, all the way from Seattle in the uh, northwestern part of the United States. Wonderful. What's yeah. it like over there, Gary? Uh, somebody said to me, it's, uh, it's spectacular. And I thought, that's a bit strong. But it really is. You know, the scenery, the, uh, the lakes and the mountains. It's, uh, you, know, you turn corners and you talk about wow moments in soccer, you get some wow moments just driving your car here sometimes. Listen, before we delve into the coaching, what have you been doing over, over this lockdown period this isolation yeah it's it's been interesting really because i've just come into the role as a as academy director uh, i came over here as the under 17s coach and the guy that hired me left so that was a strange kind of situation for me that you know the guy who kind of wanted me here moved, moved over to charlotte so um i was I, I got the academy director's job at the end of february um and then within two weeks i was back in the apartment for three months so that's been a that's been really tricky uh, to actually to actually get this position and have to work like that. You know, trying to establish yourself in that position has been has been tricky. So it's just about um, you know, Zoom, you know the Zoom calls and trying to keep the boys engaged and different strategies with the boys really to keep them engaged. And, and we can go into that in more detail later about just the differences I found with the people here. Very very different type of people. But that's been really it. You know, just trying to keep everyone engaged, staff and players. And, and then just trying to wait for the green light to get back on the field. So listen, what did life look like for you prior to getting involved in coaching? When, when you go way back, when I left school, I did, I did lots of different jobs. You know, I made body fill of cars and um, I worked in all kinds. I worked as a butcher. I've done loads of different weird stuff. Uh, and then I played a little bit of semi-professional football. Um, and I did the, uh, the old prelim badge with Graham Keeley. I just I really enjoyed it, and I, I, I kind of I, I came away from it a little bit. But always had an eye on it, and then obviously you have to pay the bills. So I went into the credit industry, so worked my way through there from from a section manager out on the streets right up to a, a regional manager and then divisional manager for a company called House of Sterling. But always had my eye on football. So the the way I built the team in the finance industry was um, I, I was responsible for bad debt and sales. And it was, it, was, it was great because I could build a football team. So I could have my defenders looked after the bad debt, couldn't really sell anything. My strikers could sell, but couldn't really defend, you know, couldn't look after the bad debt. And then I had like the midfielders who could do a bit of both. So when we had a challenge, you know, maybe we were suffering with the bad debt, we get them experts to go and help the strikers out. So it was good. So I always had my one eye on, you know, team building and stuff like that. It's been, it's been good for me, really, transferable. And then um, 
mean, if you if you want to know the real story, which I don't really share a lot, um, we went to we went to Jamaica, myself and Linda, on holiday, and, and we were on the beach, and I met a guy from Birmingham, like called John Cheek. I'll never I'll never forget his name. I've actually recently found him on LinkedIn after all these years, um, and we were drinking vodka cranberry. And we were building like pyramids with these glasses, you know. And he said, what's your dream? I said, I'd just love to be a football coach. He said, Gary, you get one shot at this, mate. He said, give it a go. So I went back and I had a great salary, nice car. And I said to Linda, I'm, I'm going to pack my job in and be a football coach. And she, uh, first of all, she laughed because she thought I was messing. Next, she swore a lot uh, because how the hell are we going to pay the mortgage? And that was it. I gave three months notice and off I went. Um, I set up a I set up a sponsorship business to begin with, going around the schools, um, and I coach every single kid in the school. I go from reception all the way through to year six. I coach all of them for forty minutes right the way through the whole day, and they do the sponsor stuff. You know where they go home and that's the nan, granddad, uncle, auntie, can you give us a quid. You know, some coaches coming in to work with us, and I'd give the schools sixty percent of the money, and I'd take forty. So they. they they got some you know, physical education and the school made made some money and, and I made some money. In some cases, I'd walk out with a real hefty check and then in other places, they say, oh, we just we didn't get anything. Yeah, nobody returned any of the forms, so I'd do a whole day for nothing. You know? That was just the way it was. <laughs> with your coaching career, Gary, what, what were your formative years like after that little school project you did? Well, it's, you don't realise at the time. I was just trying to survive but really I was working with every age group and work with the really youngest ones and trying to you know I couldn't do the same session with the nursery classes I could do with the year six so you know we'd use the ball as a steering wheel you know we'd be driving the car and then we'd be bumping each other you know but really I didn't understand what I was doing I was just trying to create sessions for them age groups so, so really I was kind of educating myself as a coach um, and then we um, we set up a coach education business and that worked with the FA and then um, I, I said to you know friends and family, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to coach at Liverpool. And people thought I was crazy. You know, I, I, I wasn't a great player. I, th- I thought I was really good as a player. I thought I really had a shot. You know, playing like non-league and stuff. But when I got into the professional game and, and seeing the ex-players, you realise how far off you are. And um, I wrote to Liverpool and I just said, Look, I'm I'm getting into the you know into my coaching. Is there any opportunities? for a role here and to be fair to Stuart Gelling he brought me in and he just said look Harry he said there's nothing here for you but I'll keep an eye on you so I've gone out of there absolutely bouncing thinking wow Stuart Gelling Liverpool Football Club's going to monitor my career he wasn't he was just kind of you know he was just being really polite and, and let me go and I went to work at Vauxhall Motors and it cost me a fortune to work there as you know you don't get paid anything um, and that's where I really started. Then I had the under fourteen Vauxhall Motors, and again, just just that kind of the, as you say, formative years. You're just learning all the time, you know. Real old, old, older guy there, just a real soccer background. Jimmy Butler, you know, real inspiration for me, and supported us through our UEFA B license. And you know, th- these people are valuable over your time. And then I, I did the UEFA B, and I wrote to Stuart again, and I said, "Look, I've got the UEFA B license now." Um, and he said, come in. So I go in again. He says to me, look, we've got nothing for you. Um, and then we just, he said, come on, let's go and have a chat in the lecture theatre. And we must have sat there for an hour. And we just got to families and, you know, what's your, kind of, what's your North Star? He'd say to me, you know, where are you trying to get to? 
And at the end of it, he said, you know what, I'm going to give you a go. He said, we're opening up a development centre near Manchester, um, with under sixes, under sevens, do you fancy doing that? So that was it, I'd made it, I was done, that was my career over. Yeah, I'm, I'm working at Liverpool now, I've got the under six, under seven cents, and that's me for life, I'm, I'm done. Um, he gave me some old kit and a bin bag, I'll never forget it. Um, it obviously been worn before, I didn't care, feel no proud of myself, drove home with it on. Uh, walked in the house, you know, Billy Big Time with my new Liverpool kit on, and that was it. Then and you, and you start to you start to form some goals, then don't you? You know, you, well, I'm doing that now. Then I'm doing the soccer camps around Europe. I'm doing that, and you're looking at the next you know, the next step all the time. But that was that was really the start of it all before I got into academy football. So you went into the academy football, and whilst working at Liverpool, you actually worked with Trent Alexander Arnold. Could you share with us what he was like to work with? And was it evident back then that he was set on this path to to be world class? Uh, not, for, not for me. No, I didn't know what world class looked like um, from a, as a thirteen-year-old boy. I didn't. I didn't understand what that looked like. Uh, I still struggle with that, by the way. I still haven't figured that out. Um, but um, he was a centre back. When I first went in, and he was rangy, long legs, uh, really, really quick. Uh, his passing ability was fantastic. Um, and I just, we, we've gone through this period really where he was disruptive. Everything was a challenge, you know, he just wanted to be heard. And it, it coincided with me doing the Advanced Youth Award. And, and Keith, Keith was actually one of the instructors on there, on the psychology part. And, the best, way, the best part of that whole kind of process for me was there was like four elements to it, technical, tactical, the physical, the psychological, and the other social week, where everyone was like, oh no, we're doing the social week next week, oh no, you know, we're, we're all coaches. But it was the best week I, I'd had in the whole, in the whole process. And they talked to us about um, players getting airtime, and they just want your attention, and they'll try anything they can to get your attention. And, and I was constantly saying, Trent, all the time, Trent, don't, Trent, stop. It was all negative behaviour from me as a coach with him. Um, and I'm not sure now whether he was bored. I just don't know. Um, or, or was he just disruptive? I don't, I don't know what it was, where his mind was. But they said to me on the course that uh, don't deal with them unless they're not affecting safety, learning or respect. As long as it's not over-the-top stuff. Don't deal with them anymore. So I, um, I started speaking to the listeners. I said, oh, you guys have got a real chance of making this. Though. The way you look me in the eye, the way you listen, you're fantastic. Oh, I love working with you. You've got a real chance of being professionals. And he'd be going mental in the background. Um, and he, all he wanted was, they say misery finds a friend. Of the early, it's like kind of, if, he wanted some allies. And if he was getting the attention, they'd start to gravitate towards him. So I, I cut that lifeline off for him. So I started working with them and I just ignored them. And they were getting distracted looking at him. He's still messing around, but I still, now I'm going to work with you. And I just ignored him. So um, he knew what was going on. I knew what was going on. And he lasted six weeks. And I, I, I kept to this. And I'll never forget the day that we were, we were back right down on field four at, at Liverpool Academy. And he, he hung around and he's picking the bags of balls up. And, and he went, Gary, can we sort this out? I said, yeah, of course we can. What do you want to do? He said, well, I can't carry on like this. I said, well, neither can I. 
I said, but, you know, my job is to get you through to May and, and pass you on to the next coach and I'll, I'll do the best I can for you. Um, I said, do you fancy having a go right back? He said, oh, I'd love to. He said, I, he said, I did a little bit, probably when I was about eight, he said, um, but I'd love to. And that was it then, off he went. And he was, you know, up and down the, the wings. We were at Carrington, it was funny, we, we played at Carrington against Manchester United. And um, Nigel Gleghorn was the England scout. And he'd come running into the technical area and he put his arm around me and he said, Gary, where the hell did you get that right back from? I said, the centre back. And he was laughing, you know, he said, he's always been here. I said, yeah, he's always been here. And um, it still, he, he wasn't, he still wasn't great to wear. There was, there was issues with the school and, um, you know, he was, he was you know, ca causing a few issues. And, and we, we played the game again, again against Manchester United at the Liverpool Academy. And it was Michael Beale's first. He was starting on the Monday, Michael, and came in to watch the game on Sunday. And on the Monday, he came in. We had lunch together. And he said, oh, I watched your team play yesterday. He said, I really loved the, you know, the, the style of playing, the way your boys are playing, the commitment. He said, but he said, the right back was fantastic. He said, I bet you he plays in the first team. I was like, yeah. He said, I bet you 50 pence. So, uh, yeah, and he was, he was I, I don't know, I don't know how, he still speaks about it now, Michael, but even then, I, I didn't see it. Did you bet that fifty pounds? Fifty pounds, fifty pence. Oh, fifty pence. I thought oh, he yeah. said fifty pounds. Oh no, he's, he's from London, Michael. So you know he's not. You know. <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I, I sent him a check with fifty pence. Uh, obviously, he's delighted when I was over here. You know, so uh, yeah, that's his that's his claim to fame now. You know, he spotted he spotted the next big talent. Yeah, but I, as I say, I just didn't see it. And that, even now we speak about it. Yeah, there's lots, lots of people who've worked with Trent over the years. And I, I don't like these people who say, well, you know, oh, that was my player. I don't, I don't like all them, them comments because there's so many people that, that supported Trent through this process. His family, I still, I still speak. I'm in contact with Diane now as mum. You know, we're regularly in contact. And, uh, you know, can just congratulating him on things, and even when he walked down to Anfield for the first game, and the goosebumps and the tears in your eyes, and, and people talk about winning as a coach, but that's winning for me. You know, when you see a boy you've worked with, you know, and that and that goes through to the the people who work in the laundry, Martin, chef, people who drove Trent in, the teachers, everyone who's had the had a part to play in his development, um, all all take some kind of comfort from it to to see him get through. You know. That's a great point, Gary, where we tend to forget that, don't we? It's, it's my player and it's lovely to hear that. Very mindful that there's been many others that have contributed immensely to, to Trent's current success and may continue for many years to come. Now, you, you did mention a little early that you're, you're now Academy Director at Seattle Sanders. What does that role entail? Well, all you do after two weeks, you just go home for three months. That's basically what you do. <laughs> it's a nice it's, role, isn't it? And get paid. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's um, it's it's really just trying to form that. It, 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 you're managing people, you're managing staff, you're managing coaches. It's um, it's it's me starting again now. The first one with the ladder for me again. You know, I spoke earlier about goals and trying to get somewhere. Well, you know, you hit your targets. And now I've hit, I wanted to be an academy director. I've wanted that for three or four years. Um, had a few interviews, wasn't successful, and then, and then got this position. And really, um, and, and to, be, to be frank about it, yeah, it's managing staff, it's managing people, it's developing people, it's, um, 
it's looking at you know what's what's trying to come, trying to be kind of trying to see the future a little bit. Um, but really, it just goes back to coaching again. You know, that's that's the way I'm looking at it. How do I develop the staff around us? Um, I did an appraisal with uh, with one of our staff um, this week, our under 19s coach, and just went through kind of his values. What are his values? And I mentioned earlier about the North Star. What's his North Star? Because everyone's got ambition. And, and my role now as academy director is how can I get in there? So, you know, he's got a specific target in mind. So I've, I've, I've kind of given him a promise that, you know, I'll help you with this. I want to I want to get him into an environment where he's around the first team. He knows what Arsenal play. He's only ever been in Seattle. If I can get him a week, you know, in Europe somewhere, where he, he watches the train and he sits with the coaches at lunchtime. He, you know, he's, he's asking questions and understanding, is this for me? I want to get him onto a, something a little bit different because he's got a soccer background. And I did the leaders conference a few years ago, um, and again, just from an educational point of view, it was in New York, and it was um, it was nothing soccer related. So there was a guy from NASA um, talking about this, a, a satellite they just brought down from space, and they put it on the wall, and it was worth a you know a billion dollars, and just the process of actually fixing this satellite. And um, the communication breakdown from NASA, they, they bolted this thing to the wall and NASA signed it off, but they hadn't checked it. And then they went through the internal processes, the external processes, and everyone from, from the first role to the, to the last role, oh, if NASA have signed it off, it must be okay. Oh, if and it went through all these, ex- but nobody had ever checked and the thing fell off the wall. So it just, it, it's understanding, <laughs> you know, you're laughing. It's it's that type of stuff. Just understand that this stuff relates. It's all transferable. And then trying to get the link with the first team as well, building that relationship. The the this actual uh, COVID crisis has been great. In some from that point of view, that we've had, that we've been on Zoom calls. Um, I've been in I've been in the manager's living room most days, which I probably wouldn't have ever got to <laughs> because of this. And just that you know, just them building them relationships with the assistant coaches and saying, look. We're trying to win a game on a Saturday. Of course we are. We're, you know, we're trying to produce players, but ultimately it's about them getting to you. We want to get them to you, and we want them to walk out to the Central Infield, and we want to be all proud of that moment. And that's been great to share that with them, because they're never they're never quite sure. First team coaches, what you what your ambition is as, as a coach? You know, is it is it really about the three points on the Saturday? No, it's not for us. But, you know, we, we understand our role in the world, and we want to produce players for the first team. That's it, or, or a return on investment. So then, and again, and, and looking at, um, I want to try and do some stuff with the community here as well. Um, maybe I'm thinking about setting up a coaches association where we can, where we can bring people in and we'll just share ideas and, and just just saying that you know, we have we have humility. All we've done, we're, we're just the same of you. We we just took a risk. That's why we're in these positions. And you know, it's it's up to you. We're just the same as you. We're no, we're no better. You know, we just as I say, we took a risk over the years and managed to navigate a way through this crazy world of football and um, I'm building them relationships in the community you know we're upskilling people um, them upskilling us as well um, and, and that's they're the type of things I want to get my teeth into uh, the last thing I'd like to do is put like a, a group to, together like an emerging talent group together where we can look at like a holistic view where we're looking at everything you know off the field stuff whether it's whether uh, they need some support you know whether it's the home life or any any development areas they've got, not just about improving the left foot, 
which was kind of what I first did as a coach. You know, that was an IDP for me. I was going to improve his weak foot, but there's like a lot more to it these days. So yeah, so the, really, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just formulating the role in a way, trying to, trying to make it my own. It sounds very much like you. There's lots of clarity around what it is you've wanted from when you first started cutting your teeth in coaching. By having that clarity in advance actually helps to get you a bit closer to where you want to be. You know, you mentioned three years ago you wanted to become an academy manager, and and that now has worked. It's worked out. I'm now working in in the US. What are the differences? There's. Uh, there's if you actually, um, I was thinking about it, about, um, you, know, you know, these uh, these drones that fly now. Um, if you actually zoomed in on a coaching session, that would look very, very similar. So the, like the level of player, the level of coaching, I'd say, you'd say you wouldn't know where you were. You wouldn't know if you were in America or, or in England. As soon as, you, as soon as you strip that back and zoom out a little bit, that's where it changes for me. Um, the, you know, the, how young they come in. In England, you know, the U6, U7s, we don't have any of that here. <clears throat> we um, Just to give you an example of Seattle, because of where we're situated, we, we can't be really flying under-12s all over the country. We only do three away games by bus here. Everything else is a flight. So obviously the cost implications from a budget point of view is, is crazy. So what we've done is we've linked with all the local clubs and put an affiliate programme together. And we go to, we start at U15, U17, U19, USL and then our first team. So we actually started with the 15s and then the rest is our affiliate program. Um, in, in Philadelphia, we had under 12s in. Um, it's, it's, I've always thought that from, from the American player point of view, everything was coach-led. So that was my first, my first kind of education of, of the American player. When I, when I went to Philadelphia, everything was yes, coach. No problem, coach. And we'd play out from the back and I'd, you know, we'd work on how to play out from the back and they would just keep doing it because, oh, the coach has told us to do this. So we go and play New York Red Bulls and talk about punching us in the face. They press really high and I didn't know. And we just kept playing out from the back and 20 minutes in, we'd fallen down because they just, they did what I asked. Now I said, I hesitate because I came to Seattle and it's a very cerebral city. So if, if, you call, if you call players a certain generation, when I came to Seattle, that was generation Y, because everything was Y coach. It wasn't yes coach, it was Y coach. Um, because you know, you've got Microsoft here, Amazon, Boeing, the parents are highly educated, and so are the players. So it's, um, it's very different. And then you, then you start getting into, there's, there's a plus and a minus of when you get to an under 19, situation so the, the the plus is at under 19 we you know they're just they're in the player pathway moving into a, hopefully into our usl and then to the first team but there's also this this challenge of, of college here where if they go off with a really big deal to go to a college even if the real pro potential for us we're now into a battle we're into a battle of of who wins does the college win or do we win and some of these some of these offers you're looking at a quarter of a million offer for some, from some of these big universities. And we're, we're not offering that as a salary. So they're not trying to convince somebody not to take a stand for edu education and come and play in our USL team for you know, a, a small amount of money is, is a challenge that you don't really face in England. 
Um, and then you've also got the the difference, and I, and I say there's a plus and a minus to it. The plus is that if we keep them, they go into into our USL, which is which is a men's league. So we've got 17, 18 year old boys now playing in a men's league up against guys who are trying to have a career and have got families to support, and will will fight tooth and nail to beat it. And there's fans in the stadium, and it's so that's that's as an education for a player, it's fantastic. So it's it's very very different. The US to England, and then obviously when you get to the first team, then you start figuring out all these salary caps and, and TAMs and GAMs and all this type of the allocation money that's 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 swimming around and the territories that you can't go into. That that gets really really interesting. So yeah, I'd say when you look at on the field, no problem. Pull away from the field, very different. So with the the players you recruit. Are you recruiting players to fit to a certain playing style and philosophy? Or is it that you want to develop players to fit the philosophy of the club? Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a really, really interesting question because if you, I, I, think a, I think a Jurgen Klopp. So what, what he, he's driving the philosophy there. So what's he looking for? What's he looking for? He wants somebody who's, who's a real worker, technically competent on the ball, can really affect the game will work the other side of the ball. I've got, I think got that work ethic to run up and down, you know, that, that real mentality to just keep going. And then the peripheral players, like sort of Divac Origi and people like that, the solid citizens, they'll, they'll train really hard. When they're called upon, they'll perform for you. So that's what he's, that's what he's looking for. For me to find that as a, youth play, as a youth coach, and that's all I've ever worked in, by the way. I've only ever worked in youth football. And it's when I'm speaking to first team coaches, they've never worked in youth football, so it, it's a completely different game for me. It's a it's a different adventure because I, I can't look for that mentality. What I can, what if I find a player who's uh, who's 12, who's really technically gifted, um, you know, physic real physical attributes, is quick, but doesn't defend? Do we just not take him, or do we educate him and defend him? We we took um we took a Sheojo at Liverpool and uh, we paid about two million for him from MK Dons. And I, I was the coach at the Milk Cup, I took him to the Milk Cup. It was his first experience at Liverpool. And he wouldn't defend. I said, Che, what's going on? He said, No, I don't do that. I said, What do you mean you don't do that? He said, Well, at MK Dons, they got the ball for me. I used to wait. I said, Well, you're not doing that here. You know, um, so it's it's an education process for me. So so from a from a scout point of view and a recruitment point of view, America gets hit over the head with this all the time. Oh, they're just physically better and stronger. No, that's a, it's a nonsense. If you really look at the player, and we've gone down this level now, we're trying to be really specific about it. Perception, decision, and action. That's what we're trying to look at now. So to put to give you an example, um, there's a midfielder playing playing in my group now who's a fantastic dribbler because he's got really poor perception. He doesn't know what's around him, so he has to dribble to get out of trouble. Whereas if he just if he just moved himself a couple of yards, if he checked his shoulder and found a little pocket of space, now he's in a great position to make a better decision. Because his head's down all the time, he's having to dribble to get out of trouble. But on the eye, you'd say, oh, what a fantastic player he is. You know, great on the dribble, can beat a player, no problem. We have to develop his perception skills now. So when you think about it, we're looking at, you know, what, what are they looking at? What decision do they take when, they, when they've seen it? 
So is it the right decision? So we can do that on video. We're, we're quite uh, we're quite well off over here in America, as you know, David, with the with the video stuff. Everything gets filmed. Um, every game gets filmed at every age group, so we can really delve into these things. And obviously, there's nothing better than a, than a, a live viewing of a player. But just looking, have they got an awareness around? Them? And then, what is it the correct decision? And then that that breaks down into so many things. So it could be they've noticed that you know, Red Bull are trying to lock you into a course of the field. So they, have they noticed there's a switch on? And can they ex can they execute that switch of play to get on as an advantage in the opposite side of the pitch? But what if they're not strong enough to do it? They've seen it. So now it's a physical aspect. So you can start to think, you can start to delve into now. So what is it? So he's seen it. He's trying to execute it. Is it a technical issue or is it a physical issue? Can he, can he just not hit it? Because late in a few years, he will be able to hit it. And then the technical action then is, can he actually pass the ball? Has he got all the range of passes? So it gives us a real opportunity then to, to look at, this is the type of player we want. And then we can kind of mould them into what we see progressing through to our first team then. Gary, during a, a recent conversation with you, you shared something around solution-based coaching. What is that? Yeah, it's... Uh, so I've come out of Liverpool, and now I'm in America, and I'm a Philadelphia Union, and just, it's a new academy, so we're just putting together our philosophy, our game model. So I was really, I was heavily involved in that. So the stuff I'd learned under Rodolfo Burrell and Pepsi Gore at Liverpool, where they taught us the why of coaching. It was more about, um, can you actually put, when you're putting your session together, does it relate to what we want at the end of it? Pep always said, start with the end in mind, what, what does the game look like and work your way back? Whereas I, I was early, you know, you talk about performative years. I used to do the, the session first and then finish with the game. So I'd just do any type of practice, you know, whatever it was, technical. No idea why. Pass and follow your pass. What a stupid thing that is. Why, where, where do you ever do that in a game, really? Unless you're probably overlapping somebody. It's very rare that you pass and follow your pass. But I'm, I'm teaching this, you know. And no one, no one understands why, but the session looked fantastic. And then I come to I come to Philadelphia and I'm, I'm helping them in the education process, but I've got nothing really above me, so I'm educating myself then. So I'm in a I'm in a good spot because I've learned a lot from Rodolfo. I'm I'm kind of making that better in in Philadelphia, and then I come to Seattle with the same mindset. And again, talk about getting punched in the face. The more you learn, the less you know. So you can, can I just go off track a little bit? I, I delivered a C license here. Uh, I'll come back, I promise you, I'll come back to your original question, but I delivered a C license in Philadelphia and uh, these, all these um, excellent coaches walked in on Sunday, all these top coaches walked in on Sunday, they knew everything about the game and the conversations were excellent, you know, and then we got to Friday and they, they realised they knew nothing or very little about the game, they were in a better place on the Sunday before they started the C license than they were by the Friday because they realised what they don't know. They were in a great spot because if you don't know, you're not worried about it. But the more you learn, you think, wow, you realise how far off you are. So I've took a huge dip when I come to Seattle. And um, I, I realised, like, wow, there's, there's a lot more to this that, than, than meets the eye. So what they do is they look at all scenarios around the world. And, and it's, very, it's a lot very data-driven here in Seattle. And they've looked at um, scenarios around the world, a high press, a mid-block, a low block. Uh, they've looked at different ways of pressing. Do they, do they force you out? Do they force you inside? 
what they realized is that these scenarios just keep coming up. The same scenario just repeats itself over and over again. So they started doing these game cues. So that was, that was the solution-based coaching. And then what we looked at was, so if you're looking at creation of use of space, for instance, so playing out from the back, we work on the first player. So does the first player know how to create space? So we teach them. We don't go into a 2v1 or a 3v2 or a 4 We don't do any of that. We just teach the first player how to, do, how to work on creation and use of space, whether it's at the side of the player, deeper than the, than the opponent, higher than the opponent, where your hips are, how do you receive the ball, which way do you receive the ball, all in elements of detail. And then we look at the two-man. So we're starting going from simple to complex now. What's the relationship like with the player that you're working with? And then we don't move on until we nail that. And then we get to the unit work and the lines and stuff like that. So it's really, it's building from simple to simple to more complex and then to complex. So it's about, and the solution is, so let me give you an example. We're up against the high press. We, what we'll do is we'll shallow off the fullbacks. We'll drop our six in and we'll look to create plus ones everywhere. So if, it, you know, if, if they're pressing with four, we'll add another one in. Um, and we're just looking to navigate our way through the lines. If you think about a, a fullback and a winger in a wide area, it's a 2v2 situation. So we'll look to unbalance the line. So maybe our wide player runs beyond to unbalance their line. We've been the 10 over. So that's the solution. It's a solution to the situation that we're in. We've also looked, at, from a data point of view, we've looked at how successful you can be from crossing the ball from outside the box and the chance of scoring a goal and then shooting from outside the box. And, and it's funny because you go to these games and what does everyone do before a game? The coach stands at the edge of the box and they pass set hit. And when you actually look, when you stand there for a while and see how many times they actually score a goal. But that's what they practice before the game. And the chance of you actually scoring a goal in the game from distance is 1%. So what we've looked at is, well, why don't we stop doing that? So we look at what's the chance of scoring from across inside the box. All of a sudden it shoots up. The chance of scoring go ridiculous. So we start to cross from inside the box. Now that we get there, then we've broken it down again into arcs of the penalty area. So arc one, arc two, arc three, arc four. And we've looked at Manchester City and Liverpool. And around about 45%, it's pretty similar to both teams, 45% of their goals come from mark one, which is the six-yard box. And then we go into chances of scoring. So we call it, we say to the players, it's an A shot. So strongest foot, arc one, goalkeeper to beat, shoot. If it's arc two and you're up against an opponent, but you can see 50% of the goal on your strongest foot, shoot. Then it gets harder because now you've got, you've got no side to the goal. You're up against somebody. Can you upgrade the shot? So that means can you take an extra touch? Or can you find somebody in a better position where you can upgrade the shot? So this is basically solution-based coaching. This is, this is all it is. It's not revolutionary. It's not. It's just saying to the players, if you're faced with this, here's some ideas for you to get out of that situation. And what age would you start working with players on that type of process, Gary? Is it the players you work with? Is it an age? That's the, well, that's the point, isn't it? And this is where it gets really confusing. Because when you stand in front of 18 players by yourself and you say something, do they all receive the same information? I'm really not sure. So it's, it's looking at, um, and it's, it's, them, it's that ability to, to see it in a session. Has he got it? Does he need a little bit more time? Can we, um, can we show him some video to support that? And then we've also got some KPIs. 
where we're looking at all the we, we've got we looked at all our principles of play we've done and it's it's looking at whose place you're trying to take and what are they really good at so we just we made percentage of it all and really it's it's just a, it's a guide to the players to say look you know you need to be as a centre back you know you, you need to be hitting a certain percentage of full passes the aerial duels need to be at this set. If, if the aerial duel is 30% as a centre-back, what's the problem? So then you look at, we can't actually head it. The, the last thing I want is that, that we put a player into our first-team environment and Brian, our manager, comes back and says, you've sent me a six-foot-four centre-back, you can't hit the ball. What did you do? If I can't answer that question as an academy director, then I'm in the wrong job. So we, we're looking at that type of stuff. So it's really, it's, it's about the individual more. So can, can he actually, can he do it? Does he understand what we're saying? And they're all they're all hearing different things, and they're all at different stages. I can't I can't do this simple to complex with a with a group and expect them all to move at the same the same rate. I, I mean that'd be absolute genius, wouldn't it? Because they're all different. They're so different in the way they look. You know, we've got all different um, ethnicities here. You know, they're coming from all different parts of the world. Because Microsoft are here, and um, you know, big organisations. We've got, we've got Hawaiians, Japanese, Mexican, American, obviously. We've got all these different kind of people that are in our club that have all got a different way and a different way of learning, a different way of listening. So it's, it's so important that you, you're conscious of that fact. So, Gary, when you're planning, you've got your session in mind and you're planning, are you spending most of your time thinking about how to coach or do you spend your time on what to coach? If we're working on the solution-based, then that's that, that gives us our, what we call game cues. So we work on our game cues. What we've done here is we've worked on what's called the EFCL. I haven't done the course yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to next year. It's called the Elite Formation Coaching Licence, and it's run by the French Football Federation. And we've based a lot of our stuff on this. So we, we, we look at um, different ways. It's the pedagogic process, basically. So different ways of teaching. So we look at um, like a guided discovery element of the session. Just step back. What do they know? Uh, don't step in too early. Let them figure it out. And sometimes as a coach, I've done it in the past where the, the area is too small and I've gone in after two minutes and I'm, I'm changing everything. And then you learn. Just step back a minute. Let them, let them, find, let them feel the environment a little bit. Give it, give it four or five minutes. Let them try and figure it out. And if they do figure it out, that's utopia as a coach, isn't it? Because I'm changing things to suit me. When really, they only need a little bit of time to understand where they are. They've just come out of school. They've just spent eight hours you know, staring at a screen in school. They're just, they're just settling into the session. All of a sudden, they figure it out. They find a little pocket of space. They understand, you know, the, the, again, the solutions to it. So like a proactive spectator, really. You're, just, you're, you're watching. And then we go into what, like a tactical decision model. So we're like a surgeon then. And we're right in there, like specific cues, repeated tactical situations. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll set up like scenarios all over the pitch where there's a challenge for them, whether it's you know if there's an unbalanced part of it, there's a there's a counter press or a, a counter principle to everything we, that we do. But that's really getting in and giving you know tons of like specific stuff. So this is what you can, man, this is what you do, and really organising and being strong with them. This is what I want. Then the part, the, the last part really is like an execution model. So, like being really demanded with detail, intensity, and then you're looking at the technical aspects. So, you, you've got to you've got to keep taking your hat off in inside the session. I don't think you go in there with 
I mean, you, you can be really specific about what you're going to coach. And, you know, I, I talk about being a surgeon and getting really into the detail. But at times, you need to back off and just let them let them figure it out sometimes. Or, or ask them, you know, maybe you'll set up. Give me a, I'll give you an example. I come to Philly and I was doing the movement patterns. So I do three times three minutes on the movement patterns. So really specific. And I'm telling you, you go from A to B to C to D. Right, and, and the trigger movements of when, you know, if a player looks up, that's when we're passing the ball. So they can do all that. There's no opponent. Um, and everything's, you know, around what I want the game to look like. And then the next three minutes is, you know, A to D to C to B. Let's let's mix it up a little bit. But still I'm organised, still I'm educated. And then and the Philly in the first period, they say, in the last part, you show me. And they were like, what do you mean? What do we do? And it was about organising chaos then. Uh, to, like my academy director there come out and he's like what the hell are you doing I said I'm not doing anything they are he said what do you mean I said just watch them I said they'll figure it out and it, it was chaotic and and he always spoke about that and he speaks about it you know more recently where he says I used to go and watch Gary Session didn't have a clue what he was doing but in the end after a few months the players were doing it and they were figuring it out and that the combination the relationships between the players really was enhanced you know, because they're trying to figure stuff out then. So, so yeah, so it's, you can, I don't think you can go in there with one real idea of how you're going to coach. You get your topic, you get your, the ideas about the time that you go in, and you're really being detailed, as I say, being specific. But then you've got to keep the eye on the player as well. You know, what does he need? So I guess with that being said, you've got to be very consistent in the key messages that you send out. Yeah, but we uh, we frame the session as well here. So we'll frame it before we go out. We'll, we'll find clips of things. So today we're working on unbalance in the back line. There's some examples of that. Because we all know there's different ways the players learn. And me talking, some people will really take that on board. But if we frame the session before we go out, these are some of our first team doing it. This is you know some of the really high-level elite player behaviours. This is what we're going to work on tonight. So we'll, straight away, the, the formulating. We, we do something really, really interesting here. We do like little snapshots of things. So as an example, so in our maintenance session, we only do four sessions a week here. We did eight to fill it. We only do four here. So we really got, we have to maximize the time here. So the first session we'll do like a you know recovery session from a game. But we'll have 10 minutes reflection on last week's topic. We, you know, just to re-energize it and just get it in the brain again. And then for two days, Tuesday, Wednesday, we go into what we call our learning phase. That's based around the same topic. Tuesday, Wednesday, the same topic. It's completely different. And from a periodization point of view, it looks different from a strength point of view, or whatever, whatever phase we're at. But it'll be the same topic. And then on Friday, we'll do our pre-game. But we'll throw in a little bit of next week. Lots of thought uh, is going into the practices. But when you're coaching, Gary, where do you spend predominantly spend most of your time do you spend it in working with players or is it in developing teams uh, both yeah and you have to um, and I've, I've done both I've, at Liverpool we, we did a lot of team stuff uh, where we and it, it's always a kind of you contradict yourself every time you say this because you're doing a lot of team stuff so I, I spoke about the movement patterns and the technical work we did at Liverpool and then we go out and the team would look fantastic. But we've educated the player in that as well. We haven't gone straight into the team and said, oh, no, we must do this, we must do that. You're involved in this situation. So 
it's and again I go back to that, you know, the first player, the second player, the third player. If he doesn't know it, we can't really go to the second player. So but you've still got to be conscious of the fact that it's still a team game. You've still got to, you have to keep an eye on the team all the time. Even though we're trying to do de- I mean my remit is to develop players. But I, have to, I don't just develop a player and go, there he is, I've done it. So when he goes into our first team, he has to understand how to work with others and the relationship that he's going to build with others. So I, I always find the question tricky because yeah, I have to develop players, but it's a team game. You know, as a golfer or a tennis player, you develop as a player. Here, now you have to you have to understand your role in this thing. And looking at these like like a like a emerging talent group of, of what do they need, what's going to get them over the line, and then just recording that information, but still having them part of the team sessions. Because they still, and then they still have to play on a Saturday because there's still a game going on. We still have academy games going on. They still have to play in a team every weekend. But can we actually re- refine them skills? You know, what's what's going to get them over the line? What's going to get them over the edge? Mm. And it could be it could be just as simple as uh, Ernst Tanner came in from uh, Red Bull Salzburg into Philadelphia Union as the new sporting director, and he said to the players, uh, "Defending is a choice. If you don't want to make this choice, leave now." So, I mean, that's another educational piece. That's, a, that's an attitude issue now. So sure. if you don't want to defend, no problem. Just find, find yourself somewhere else. Or if you want to be educated on this, we'll help you. Uh, Pepper Linders at Liverpool talks about uh, counter-pressing isn't a proposal. It's a law. So they have laws. Jürgen Klopp has laws with the players. This isn't, we're not proposing this. This is one of our laws. You, we counter-press. When we lose the ball, we're going to get back. And if you don't want to do that, no problem. So, you know, that's, that's still part of player development for me. And that winning mentality, that, that's another one that comes up a lot, that will develop in winning. You know, win. I mean, I've heard so many times, you know, don't worry about the winning side of things. It's not, it's that important. Do you know when you do a session, we do lots of like competition points in Seattle. We break all the session down and everything's got a value to it. And if you don't put a value on it for these young players, the, the level of intensity drops. And some of the some of the things that we've done here, there's some of the things I've done at Philly and then over to here, the competition points here, if they're not if they're not fighting for something during the session, as I say, the ten, the intensity drops. As soon as you say, right, there's two points on this, the whole thing just jumps. Because they're really competitive. So we have um, we have a league table on points and the bottom three carry all the equipment and the tactics board and stuff when we do away trips. They're responsible for all the gear. And they're desperate to get out. And they find that when they're stuck in this bottom three, they find it really hard to get out. And, and then we do uh, we have a game at the end. And something that Pepsi Gore, Pepsi Gore at Liverpool used to walk away at the game at the end. He said, I can't watch this. So why not, Pep? What's wrong? He said, it's not real. He said, they don't, they don't defend properly. They're not pressing properly. When they, when they shoot, they don't really care if they miss. This is where the value comes out now. All the teaching you've done, that needs to come out now in this game. And it doesn't happen. So I just started putting like uh, I do a cup competition on a Friday in Philadelphia, where we'd actually have a trophy that they won at the end and they lift it. Oh my word, the, the excitement! And instead of that game being ten eight, it was one one, or it was two one, because the fight. Yeah, a lot of times it would go to penalties. So many times it would go to penalties. Um, here, we we have a, a WhatsApp photo. That's all we do. And at the end of the session, the team that wins gets a photo and it goes on the WhatsApp group. They are desperate to get on this photograph. Desperate. And the sulking that goes on if they're not on this photograph. It's, it's unbelievable. And it's just, again, it's, it's gimmicky in some ways, but 
they're learning to fight and they're learning to win and they're learning to compete. And then I, I can use that on a Saturday. Like, don't you dare let these off the hook. When last night you were killing each other to win a photograph on a WhatsApp group. That needs to come out today. You know, so that competitive element has to come in because when they go into the, the real world and, it's, and they're fighting for three points on a Saturday with the first team manager and all they've been taught is, oh, don't worry about winning. No, it's, it's vital. Yeah, and it's a competitive sport, Gary. It is when you get to that top level, you have to win. Because if you don't, coach loses his job. And I think there's, even at, even at younger ages, I think there's different types of wins. I know if you're working with eight and nine-year-olds, it has to be competitive and there has to be purpose behind it. It may not be that they win the game. That might not be the, the most important thing. The win may be the performance end, but the higher up you go, you've got to win. And like you said, you get to the top level. If you don't, you're out of a job. I guess for, you, for yourself, there's the balance there of you've got to send players up into the first team that can compete, will compete, and know that it is important to win and, and not just look good and, and have all these good attributes. Like Stephen Gerrard spoke about, you know, I had my eye on you. I'm, I'm going to jump all over you. I'm taking that shirt off you. you know? And um, I, I heard the story about, I think it was Trezeguet, and he walked into a team meeting when he was 16. And you know, the way they kind of kid them on, you have to stand up and sing a song or something. And, and he stood up on the chair and whatever he was doing, singing a song. And, you know, one of the players just burst out laughing and was, was having a go at him. And he just turned around and he said, I don't know why you're laughing. I'm coming to take your share from you. It's, that's, you've got to have that mindset. I'm coming to get you. It's funny, I spoke to a, um, a really good friend of mine who's at Man City. And I spoke to you about the KPIs earlier. And all we've done is we've given them a gauge of, we've given them a job description. Like these are the standards. So he said, what if I give um, the players Kevin De Bruyne his KPIs and they hit them? Are they going to get in the team? Well, they're not. They're not going to hit. They're not going to get into the team if they hit Kevin De Bruyne's figures, because he's already in the team doing that, and he's got the experience and the trust there. So it's not going to be enough to be as good as Kevin De Bruyne to get into that Man City, Man City team. When you look at Trent, Trent smashed the figures out the park. He's excelled. He's exceeded. If, if there was ever KPIs for him a couple of years ago, he's exceeded that, and that's why he's in the team. So not only are you fighting against the guy who's next year in Seattle, then it's the, the influx of people coming in later when we're looking at top talents from around the country and around the world. And there's the guy in front of you who's actually in that position then and living, supporting his family. You've got to knock him out as well. So if you're not competitive, you're not going to last long in this game, are you? Gary, thank you very much for your time today. It's been very insightful. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast and also you can visit our website at www.golddust.com mentoring.com Thank you everybody Thank you.